We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of New York. A lot of people from where I'm from don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome in to another BuzzBeat podcast today. uh, This is me, Spencer Percy. I'll be the only host on the show today, and I'm joined by Nate Duncan of the Dunked On podcast and Hollinger and Duncan's NBA show on the Locked On Network. Uh, Nate and I are going to talk about really the entire Southeast Division today. Uh, This is part of our Southeast Division preview series, but we'll also go pretty in-depth on the Hornets, what we can expect for this coming season, what they just got done with this past summer. Uh, You can find Nate on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA and then Nate, uh, any website, uh, anything else I need to plug? I think I covered all of your NBA content, which is vast. (laughs) Well, if people want to see a bunch of, uh, food pictures, they can go to my Instagram, uh, Nate B Duncan, (laughs) but that's, I think you got, you got most of it and follow me on Twitter. You'll, uh, you'll see all the content that we're putting out there. Awesome. Well, Nate's absolutely a must-follow. If you don't already and you're an NBA fan, um, what are you doing? Follow Nate at Nate Duncan NBA on Twitter. All right, well, let's jump. Let's jump right in here. Um, you know, before Nate and I came on live, we were talking about how short of an offseason that it was, uh, which is the second of consecutive <laughs> short offseasons. So it feels like everything just ended and the draft and free agency just ended. But here we are uh, about a month away or less than a month away from the season starting. So let's start 50,000 foot view here, Nate, looking at the Southeast division. And the first question I had teed up for you, what is the most significant addition player-wise in this division? I think the answer is obvious. So maybe we can talk about some of the more intriguing ones. So let's start there. To you, what's the most significant player that's been added to any of these five teams? Well, Kyle Lowry was the most significant player to change teams in free agency this season. So clearly you would have to go with him. If it's not going to be him, you'd probably have to go to some of the rookie acquisitions, you know, the the two rookies in Orlando 
for instance. Spencer Dinwiddie is, would probably be the other one. Maybe there's even an argument that Spencer Dinwiddie could give the Wizards more than Kyle Lowry is going to give the Heat this year, given their respective ages. Uh, but we'll see on that one. So probably Dinwiddie and Lowry, am I forgetting anybody here? I don't think so. I had Dinwiddie written down, too. I mean, I mean, the big thing with him, obviously, we haven't seen Dinwiddie in a while, so how is he going to come back yeah. you know, and contribute? I mean, obviously, he was a nice player before injury. The other one I had written down was Kyle Kuzma. You know, he's just one of those guys to me, like, does a new scene completely change his outlook? You know, we've seen some some defensive potential. The th- the shooting, I think, has come online, gone back off. I mean, I just think that was a weird scene for him in L.A. So that's the other one I, I, I noted. I, I mean, that – that roster's loaded, as you know, in Washington, so I don't even really know where he falls into that rotation. But I think he has an opportunity to – a little bit of a second draft guy here. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, he has evolved into a much different player. I mean, remember, he was the guy who they supposedly believed so much in that they couldn't include him in the Anthony Davis trade. And who knows how much the Pelicans valued him, but maybe they ended up giving up more draft capital because he wasn't in – that deal, and he's you know scoring in the high teens, hitting twenty on a, on a lot of nights the first couple of years of his career, and then the question became, now that LeBron and AD were there, you know, could he round his game out? And in some ways, he almost rounded his game out too much. Like they needed him to score once AD went out in the playoffs last year, and he really didn't give them anything. And so you know, he's kind of been playing more just a three and D role, and he's improved his defense beyond what I believe possible, but. Some of that mid-post stuff that he used to do, the scoring, it just it, we haven't seen that very much. And in theory, he could be the third best scorer on this Wizards team. Uh, I think that's probably going to be Montrose Harrell. But is that just gone from his skill set? Was it never that good to begin with? And he was just jacking up shots on a, on a bad team. Uh, that's uh, it's really interesting because it's been a couple of years since we've seen that guy that's so tantalized with like his footwork and his isolation scoring. Yeah, I mean, I think for him to kind of get back to that role that you're you're talking about, it would probably take some injuries for Washington um, to really give him that opportunity again. But that that's an interesting team, probably to me the most interesting in this division. Uh, I mean, even you look at a guy like KCP, I mean, I think he can really help Washington day one. They added a lot of shooting and a lot of depth, and I think they have a wide range of where they can end up. As a team, this well, well so when you say yeah, when you say the most interesting, like what's what makes a team interesting to you? I, I think that I could think about, you know, where they end up record wise at the end of the year for for hours on end. I, I just they have a lot of guys <laughs> that fit into a rotation, right? They have a lot of different uh, lineups that they can play. I think they, as I said, they added shooting. They added some really nice guard play. You know, Harold's he's going to give them great minutes. Uh, at the center position, which they needed some of, I, I just and then Kuzma again. I brought that up earlier. Like I, he's a guy who could play twenty to twenty-five minutes tonight, or I think he's a guy that goes in there, you know, gets hot early and is playing thirty-five minutes and in, in the second leading scorer next to Beal. Like I don't think that's off the table either. So I just think there's a lot of like volatility with this team. So that's what makes it inter- interesting to me. Uh, we'll talk about over unders later, but they're one of my they're one of my overs, and I feel pretty good about. It. Yeah, you know, I. And I think the reason that their over-under is so low is be like, well, they lost Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook was awesome for them last year. And certainly he was very good in that closing stretch that they had, where I think they went like 17-4, and because you know their playoff odds, they were totally out of it with like 20 games to go. And 
uh, had an extremely improbable recovery to even make the play in, uh, much less to actually make the playoffs. And of course, they're helped by injuries to some of the teams that they're fighting with, including your Charlotte Hornets. But yeah, I think just the this will be an interesting referendum on you know how much did Russell Westbrook actually help or hurt them last year, and then also how does that compare to just you know having someone like Spencer Dinwiddie in there? Like my thesis is that Dinwiddie might be able to give them more in the aggregate than Westbrook did, although he may not play as many games. And then they've got some decent depth on this team on the wings for the first time in a while. So yeah, I, I think they're pretty interesting. You know, although I will say. And the team that I'm most interested to watch probably is still the Hornets. Uh, yeah. That would that would be the case for me just because, you know, they just got a lot of guys that I really enjoy watching. Yeah, no, I, I mean, trust me, I'm with you. I'm probably a little too close to it. But, I, I mean, I and we'll talk about their additions in a little bit. This is a fun roster and, and also, I think, deeper um, compared to last season in Charlotte. So let's – and this is probably a little bit more of a boring question from a Southeast Division perspective, but – most significant player loss of any team um, in this in this division. Let me, and let me tee this question up by saying the potential losses. I think we were looking at. I don't think I'm leaving anyone out. Was does Bradley Beal move? Does he get traded? He did not. Does Duncan Robinson leave Miami in free agency? He did not. They bring him back. And then does John Collins leave Atlanta, which for a while looked like a lock, and now he's back. So I'm not really sure. There's been a, a significant departure in this division. Am I missing someone there, Nate? Well, I mean, Westbrook obviously would, would be one. Yeah. Um, but but we we talked about him plenty already. You know, I Cody Zeller, uh, like that's not. I I realized that you know he was injured a lot, and uh, you know I probably like him better than the league does, so because all he got was a a minimum contract. But I I think at least when healthy, that the Hornets actually downgraded a little bit uh, from Zeller to Plumley, um, particularly on the defensive end. And, you know, Plumlee can probably be trusted to stay healthy a little bit more, which is nice. So I, I think that's a, a somewhat significant departure. Um, you know, the Magic, yeah, they didn't really lose any. I mean, the, their big departures came, obviously, at the trade deadline. So, yeah, I mean, who are even the other candidates there? Is anyone else major that, that we're not I, talking about? I don't think so. Goran Dragic? I mean, yeah, yeah, that may be. And I thought about Zeller, you know, obviously. I mean... It, Every Hornets fan has a soft spot for Zeller dating back to his time with Kimba and how effective that that duo was on the floor together. Um, I, I just think we really started to see Zeller's age um, this past season, if not the season before. Uh, and then always the battle with him is just, can he stay on the floor? So I, I think he can help Portland for, to, you know, for sure, but I wouldn't put him at the, at the top of that list. I don't think we're missing anyone else, though. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So let's let's pivot to this question because this is probably from a national landscape. Who's the best team in this division? And I think it's a really, really good debate. So I'm interested to hear what you think here. But my, Atlanta and Miami, you know, Atlanta coming off the season where they, to, to me, out, you know, punched way above their weight, um, making it to the conference finals. And then Miami, a team that punched below their weight after making the finals the year before in the bubble, um, but adding Kyle Lowry. So, you know, looking at that, who to you is, is the better of, of these rosters? Well, in the regular season, I think the Atlanta Hawks will be better than Miami. They have more depth, and I think the Heat are going to struggle to score in the regular season. I think their defense can be really good. You know, they might have the best playoff defense in the NBA, but I'm worried about their depth in terms of shooting. I'm worried about their depth in terms of creation. You know, I mean, they are really relying on Tyler Hero to be their third creator and other than a couple of weeks in the bubble you know he hasn't really shown that he's that type of of player yet you know they definitely have some veterans where their health or performance drop-offs with Lowry Butler PJ Tucker uh, that could be an issue uh, as well and you know they got a lot of guys on minimum contracts that they're relying on as well a lot of guys you know of the Max Struess variety Gabe Vincent, you know, those guys are probably going to have to play. So I, I think, uh, you know, they got a minimum guy at backup center, Dwayne Dedman. So, you know, if Adebayo misses time, they're, they're not in great shape either. So I, I think that Miami, they're also going to be in kind of take it easy mode during the regular season until maybe they realize, oh, we might actually get stuck in the plane and then maybe they'll have to turn it on a little bit. So I just think Atlanta. It has such a deep team, they can withstand the injury to basically anyone other than Trey or Capella, and they have a lot of guys who can fill in around that. So I like Atlanta better in the regular season. I think I like Miami more as a playoff team, though, if fully healthy. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I definitely agree with your point, you know, about Miami's defense. Um, it, you said something interesting, though, and I think that this is on the mind, certainly of Hornets fans. 
how do the Hornets break into the top six? How do they get out of that playoff situation, play in situation if everything fell right? And you kind of said, is Miami, are they that team that are considered consensus top six in the East that could actually fall into the play in? If you had to list, because you kind of said them, would they be your favorite if you had to pick of that group of Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and who am I leaving out here? Well, forgive me. Anyways, the, the consensus top six of the East, is Miami the most likely to end in a play-in of that group, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. Let me let me take a look at, at the, the list here. So, you got Brooklyn and Milwaukee, I think, are kind of a cut above. You know, Philly, who knows what's going on with them, and certainly, you know, if Embiid misses time, Philly was without the other Ben one. Simmons, was the sixth team I left out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, without Ben Simmons, they they could be in trouble. But I, I think they'll be okay as well. You know, I see them in high forties type of wins. Uh, you know, and if Embiid is healthy, maybe even more than that because Embiid was absolutely dominant last year. Mm-hmm. And you know, then I think probably Atlanta would would be my pick for the four seed, uh, and then Miami probably at five. But I still think I would have them. And I, you know, Boston is kind of in that group too. You know, that I think that's probably my top six mm-hmm. at the moment. And then you, you know, I would say maybe seventh would be Indiana. And then, then, you know, maybe it would be Charlotte. I might actually pick Charlotte to make the playoffs. Oh, I guess the Knicks too is the other one that, that I'm not thinking of. So yeah, those are the teams I probably would expect to be over 500 most likely, but obviously you can have a lot of issues. So you know, of that top six, you know, I do kind of, that, that's a tough call. You know, I, I think all those teams have some concerns, you know, whether it's Miami or Boston, I see those teams kind of having some similar strengths and weaknesses, but Boston has more depth. Um, but I do think Miami is, is more likely to just kind of figure it out with their coaching and playing playing hard every night. I think Boston has a few more question marks. So probably Boston would be the team I'd most anticipate falling out of that top six into the play-in. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of a reversal of roles when you think about Miami and Boston roster construction from last year to this year. I think, you know, and you just talked about it with the Heat, you know, they're thin. Like, they really can't afford an injury to a guy like Butler or Adebayo or Lowry um, almost at all. Uh, I mean, you can only – to me, you can only depend on – this heat culture, we're going to develop these minimum, you know, pick them off the street guys forever. Uh, but they're going to have to play some of those, as you mentioned earlier. And Boston, they're deeper to me this year. So I think I would, I think I would go with Miami. Of that top six that you mentioned, I would have the same six in that tier. You know, I, I do think Miami has the most downside potential in the regular season. Um, and and like I said, that's what all Hornets fans are looking for of that group. Who who can we jump in that group? Um, so let's transition to the Hornets. Um, I think it was a very interesting offseason for them. They were aggressive in the draft, less aggressive, I would say, in free agency. But I think they did well to get Kelly Oubre on the deal they did with that second year being non-guaranteed. So let's start here. Most important player, probably an obvious answer. Uh, but let's see what you have to say. Most important player for the Charlotte Hornets this season. Honestly, it might still be Gordon Hayward. Even now, as far as like winning basketball games this year, uh, because there still isn't really anyone else with the, his similar skill set on the roster. If they still had Devontae Graham, I think maybe you'd say that he is clearly the most important player. 
Uh, but obviously for the long-term future of the franchise and the higher-end outcomes, uh, that would be LaMelo Ball. It seems pretty clear. For sure. So you think LaMelo still would be the answer for this season, not just like seasons to come? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. Like, who has more variability in their performance this year, LaMelo Ball or Gordon Hayward, when you consider health as well? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's LaMelo. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think the, <laughs> the range of outcomes that – where his season could go, I could see him, you know, coming onto the scene of like this guy is a no-brainer max. So just like figure out the salary cap uh, when he becomes extension eligible, that's going to happen. And I could also, I mean, when Lamelo came back from injury last year, you know, he wasn't good, and I, I would attribute most of that to the fact that, you know, it was a tough injury to come back from. You know, the wrist. Uh, I think it definitely affected his shooting. I, I think it affected his psyche. I, you could just kind of watch his body language and see that on the floor. But, you know, the result was the result. He wasn't good. He was awful in that Indiana game, the play. And so I think. Oh, man, was he bad season. in that game? Oh, so bad. You know, and so, like, I, I, the Hornets fans certainly, maybe the league as a whole remembers, hey, LaMelo was better than expectation. I think Hornets fans, most of them would, would remember, you know, LaMelo really ended the season on a bad note. So I, I think there's. I think there's more variability to how this season goes for him. If Hayward can stay healthy, he just he gives this team something that it can't find anywhere else. You know, just a half court offensive engine is strong, but just a matchup beater, a guy they can throw the ball to in the mid post who can pass, you know, who will cut. So just somebody that can play with the ball in the half court and, and create offense outside of a Lamelo ball pick and roll. Um, so I, I think the answer is Lamelo, but I think there's again more wide ranges of, of where this season can go for him. What about this team, Nate? This roster that does look different this season. What gives you the most optimism about this Hornets roster? It's still got to be Lamelo, I would say, and the idea that he can take a leap in his second year and maybe even get close to being All Star status. G- give them that that All Star level of player to coalesce around and really push these guys into being a, a very above average offense because as much as they kind of played small and they tried to get a lot of shooting on the floor and they're playing these junk defenses, you know, usually teams like that, it's like, oh, well, they're going all out for offense instead. That's why they're doing that. But the Hornets offense wasn't that amazing no. last year. And, you know, part of that was due to injuries and, you know, you're playing your Jalen McDaniels 30 minutes a game by the end of the year and, and, and that type of stuff. You know, you got to play Bismack Biombo more than they wanted to. You know, he's an, an offensive liability. Uh, Devontae Graham had some real shooting struggles throughout a lot of the year, uh, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, still, I mean, it's hard to say, hey, you're going to have this great offense if you don't have that guy who's pushing to be on the top 25 players in the NBA and is the guy that you can throw the ball to uh, on a pretty much any possession and expect there to be a good result. So, clearly... Whether LaMelo takes that next step this year, that to me is the biggest variable for these guys uh, as far as really pushing it. Because I just, I don't know about you, I don't see a path for their defense really to get above the league average with this group. And so I think it's going to have to be, you know, really blowing up as an offensive team. And LaMelo is the guy to make that happen. Yeah, like, I mean... Defensively, I think league average is, is the ceiling. I would agree with you there. I mean, I do think Plumley can help them there, more so from just like being available to play, right? Which 
brought up earlier, Zeller just not, just not available as much as fans would like. You know, I think Ubre can help defensively. I mean, he at least gives Charlotte some athleticism on the wing that they didn't have on that roster last year. I, I think they they can play less junk defense this year. Well, maybe yeah. less zone junk defense. Like, I think they'll still be switch yeah. heavy man to man, but I think they have more capability to just like keep the ball in front now with, with some of the athleticism that they added. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you touched on the offense. Like, the offense wasn't amazing last year. In the half court, it was pretty hard to watch at times, uh, especially when outside shots weren't dropping. But, you know, this team, they want to get into transition. That's the scheme, uh, I would say, by adding Plumlee, by adding Ubre, by drafting Kai Jones. Like, it's pretty obvious that they want to run, gun, and be as athletic as possible. Um, so, you know, I think you're going to continue to see Charlotte play at a ferocious pace. And one way they're going to do that is be as aggressive as possible defensively uh, with the length that they've added. So it's going to be a fun product. What else? Area of greatest concern. Like what to you, if you have to point to one thing, can outside of injuries, so let's just assume those don't happen, what's from a scheme perspective can just make the bottom fall out for this group? Uh, I would say lack of rim protection. That's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. I think, you know, Plumlee is relatively poor in that area. I would say he's not terrible, but still below average for a center. And then they don't really have anyone coming off the bench uh, that particularly fills that role either. You know, some, some of the young centers that they have aren't, aren't that spectacular, uh, haven't shown much. You know, JT Thor, Kai Jones, you know, I don't, I don't expect those guys to – you know, suddenly be like great rim protectors at the NBA level in their first season, even if maybe they do have some athleticism. So uh, that's what I, I mean. And then it just becomes hard to really build a great defense if you can't protect the rim. And, you know, last year they kind of tried to just pack into the paint a ton and give up a ton of threes, I think, to make up for the fact that they didn't protect the rim that well. And I think they had better rim protection last year than they're going to have this year. So that's yeah. to me, is the biggest weakness that I see for these guys and where I think a lot of their defensive ills are going to flow because I actually think outside of the center position, like their talent is, you know, pretty average defensively, you know, if, if everyone is healthy and, and with some of the athletes that they have, but I just, their bigs defensively uh, are very uninspiring to me. And, you know, I th Plumlee kind of has this reputation of being a, a good big defensively. And I just, I think he's been wildly overrated there for a long time. And, you know, we'll see. This is this is going to be a pretty good test of, of what he can do defensively. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But I'm uh, that's my theory, at least, that they could really struggle to uh, uh, with their interior defense. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a safe bet. And um, I didn't really love the the trade to bring Publiant either. You know, giving up, taking on that salary for, for what the transaction cost was. I, I just I didn't love it. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're going to. Were you a, uh, a Rashawn Holmes guy? Is that what you wanted them well, to, to go for? That's what I was getting to. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Charlotte fans did expect the Hornets to be pretty aggressive in the center free agent market, uh, and I did think. I mean, it, and it looked like as free agency was unfolding, it really looked like Charlotte had an, an opportunity, you know, to go after Holmes, but it didn't happen. Uh, they they play it on the cheap and bring in a guy like Mason Plumley uh, instead. But and we are going to find out. You're right because this team is absolutely going to depend on his services. They, <laughs> I mean, it's. It's, it's Plumlee, and then it's a rookie in Kai Jones, who we're not even sure that five is his position yet. It's P.J. Washington uh, at five, which I think the Hornets need to do less of, although 
the the stats would tell you differently. I mean, they're they're really really good from a net rating perspective when PJ's on the floor, and then it's like Vernon Carey and uh, Nick Richards if he even makes the team. So um, we're going to find out really really quickly if Mason Plumlee can help this team at all. Um, let's talk about. I was going to ask you like one underrated well, story. Well, quick, quickly to finish up on Holmes. I mean, it seemed like they probably would have had to outbid. Uh, the Kings for him, you know, maybe for whatever reason, Holmes wanted to be in Sacramento more than uh, being in Charlotte. Um, you know, it would have been a pretty sizable contract for Holmes. He is 27. I don't know that it would have been a bad contract necessarily to go up to say 15 million a year for Rashawn Holmes is probably what it would have taken. And, you know, with a player option as well to outbid where the Kings were, but you know, they did. Would you rather have Mason Plumley, Kelly Oubre, and JT Thor, who they got with that 37th pick that they traded for? Or would you rather have Rashawn Holmes? You know, that's, I, I think you can go either way there. And, and I think, particularly with Hayward's fragility, you know, maybe it was more important to get Oubre than it mm-hmm. was to, to get a center. You know, I think you can argue either side of that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you could ar- argue both sides as well. I mean, I think in a vacuum, I, w- I would rather have Holmes. Um, but the the transition, the, the segue I was going to make there, I think that, Maybe we learned part of the reason that they chose, you know, taking on Mason Plumley's contract, getting an extra draft pick, and then bringing in Kelly Oubre on a fair, uh, very fair contract with a with a non guaranteed second year, because then they turned around and they extended Terry Rozier, which surprised me a little bit uh, in terms of the timing of it. I mean, they they had all season um, to extend Terry Rozier, so I didn't think this is something that Charlotte had to rush, but they're on the clock when it comes to a Miles uh, Bridges extension if I'm not mistaken. So I, I thought that that's, that took me back a little bit. I don't hate the Terry Rozier extension, uh, but just in terms of when we talk about why maybe they didn't, why they weren't more aggressive in free agency, what happened after that maybe told us some of, of why that was. What is your take on the Rozier extension? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, uh, basically the max that they could give them, there's a very hilariously slight non-guarantee uh, on the last year of like two million of the twenty six million is non guaranteed based on if they uh, make the second round in one of the three prior season then it then it guarantees you know th- this is kind of a the cap is going up uh, extension it is if Terry Rozier continues to play at the level that he played at last year I think it'll work out there certainly were some of the harbingers of the career year. Obviously, I don't think we expect the crazy clutch performance to continue. I mean, that he was one of the top two clutch players in the NBA last year, uh, I think behind Lillard uh, from a statistical standpoint. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a very good player, and he's also the type of player that other teams would have been interested in that are good teams, you know, because of the way he's able to shoot the ball now. He defends his position pretty well. Um, you know, I think it's kind of the ships maybe sit a little bit on him being a one. But, you know, he's really evolved into a nice two with the way he's shot the ball in Charlotte. So, you know, it's not surprising to me. Charlotte certainly feels like they don't get a lot out of the cap space derby. You can argue that paying him this money is better than they would do in free agency during that period. We'll see, you know, if they, what they get bridges for on an extension, if they do. And then, you know, obviously a potential max for LaMelo and and how, how all that works out. But I think... Rozier is a pretty good fit next to LaMelo, and that's part of why they really wanted to retain him. So it's it, it might be a little pricey. 
that's kind of the environment. That's kind of what's expected now that the, you extend guys and those extensions could be a, a lot. So depends how much the cap goes up and whether Rozier can keep shooting the ball like this. But it's not – it wasn't insane to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, and one thing that I noted when the extend, when the news of the extension came out is just you look at Ubre's contract, um, you know, you look at Plumlee's contract, those do go through the 2020-23 season, although the second years on those are, are non-guaranteed. You look at Rozier's new number. Like what the Hornets did need um, in terms of be, being able to maybe throw their name in the hat for a trade is they needed some salary fodder. And I think that Rozier's yeah. extension and those two uh, contracts I mentioned, Ubre and Plumlee, like I think those do have some appeal across the league, certainly next summer when you're looking at trading for two of the three of those that are non-guaranteed. So if this season went really well and the Hornets thought, man, if we could – and LaMelo explodes onto the scene and a star or semi-star becomes available, like I think Charlotte is a team that now is is maybe ready to make a deal like that. Yeah, and we'll see whether that player actually wants to go there. And that, of course, will probably depend on how attractive playing with the LaMelo ball is going to look like. Uh, But, yeah, you know, they've kind of consigned themselves to really relying, I think, on Kai Jones becoming their center, who at least can close games for them. Because, you know, they had a chance to get Holmes in in free agency. They didn't. He's a two-way center, you'd hope that they maybe could get for a little cheaper than some other two-way centers because he just doesn't have the pedigree. And now, you know, uh, it seems like they're kind of more consigned to just going year to year with these Plumlee-like stop gaps at the center position until or and unless uh, Kai Jones develops. Miles Bridges, extension eligible. Again, I thought maybe that extension would happen before the Rosier Extension. Now I'm a little bit nervous because I, I really do think Miles Bridges is an, is an extremely important piece going forward for Charlotte. I think last year was 100% the breakout year. His offensive versatility, you know, what he can do as a screener in the short role as a passer, as a finisher at the rim. We know how, how athletic he is. You know, he shot the ball, I think, above expectation in the league. And I think we, we saw a little bit more out of him as a ball handler, attacking one on one, playing in the pick and roll. Like he is. He is a jackknife, uh, can be really offensively, and I think he's really important for this team moving forward. What on like a one to ten scale, we'll just be broad with it. How ten being very, very important, one being not important at all. Where do you think this should fall on the Hornets' priority list and getting him extended? Yeah, I thought last season he really answered a lot of questions. I don't think he's to be a forty percent three point shooter going forward, that's asking a lot that's kind of above the level that he's been at. But, you know, he just needs to settle in as a guy who's going to get guarded out there and can hit 37%. You know, I don't think that being a 40% three-point shooter is, you know, so essential to his destiny. But he really just improved as an individual defender, I thought, and even started making some help plays. I was, uh, something that you opened my eyes to in our annual talk on my show was that, this guy actually, his first couple of years, just couldn't move his feet and stay in front of people. Just and, like as bad as it gets. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, at least to, to my eyes, I, I thought he got a lot better. Uh, and was, which is kind of rare. You know, you don't see just for simply moving those feet. You know, I don't know whether it was just being more engaged, being in a stance when the guy caught the ball, technique, you know, improved his quickness, whatever it was. But yeah, he looked like a guy who credibly might be able to guard some of the better players. On the opposing team, he's got good strength, and those players are pretty valuable. Now, is that your second best player? 
going forward, no, I think the who in this Hornets pipeline is going to be their second star. You know, you already kind of need to be answering that question. And I think that's going to be a very tough question for the organization to answer over the next few years. But certainly a, a guy like him is extremely important. I would expect that we won't see his deal get done until we see what Mikhail Bridges gets. I think Mikhail Bridges is going to kind of set the market for these sorts of players. I mean, they are somewhat different players, but you know, they still kind of fall into that 3 and D type of level. We just saw Michael Porter Jr. go down. Uh, and so that, then I think Bridges is the next domino to fall, I think there's probably an understanding that Miles Bridges will fall in a little bit below Mikhail Bridges. And so, but, you know, I'm sure his agent will hope that it's not too far away from Mikhail Bridges. So I think, you know, a lot of times these get done sort of kind of in order of like who the best players are. And uh, for our mock rookie extensions, we had Mikhail Bridges ending up at four years, 84 million. And uh, Miles at four for 64 with an extra million per season if they make the playoffs. So I, I think if I had to guess, it would be higher than that as opposed to lower than that in real life. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, as his mock agent, I was a little bit worried that, hey, maybe he doesn't shoot the ball nearly as well from three this year. And the Hornets overall, maybe they don't make the playoffs. They take a step back and there isn't kind of the same vibe of positivity around the team as there was after last year's unexpected success. So I kind of, I wanted to jump on that. Uh, like, I think there's more downside risk for miles bridges than there is upside necessarily, but that's, you know, I'm kind of more conservative in those than, than maybe uh, his agency would be. And so this, this uh, rookie extension mock, you can listen to this. It's a, it's a dunked on podcast episode. I would, I would recommend everyone go listen to that because I, I'll be honest, yeah. like my jaw kind of fell down when, and it was so quick. Like there really wasn't a lot of haggling on that extension that you guys did for Miles Bridges. Um, yeah, that's a, it, it surprised me a little bit. I definitely agree with you that the, the number would come in above that. And it's, it, it's really interesting the comparison you made between Mike Hell and Miles because I, I don't think it's a, a closed and shut case right now that Mike Hell's a better player than Miles Bridges uh, long term. But I think obviously Phoenix is they're in win now mode. There's pressure to get these guys extended, keep this championship window open. Whereas Charlotte has a little bit more flexibility um, in terms of patience and hey, let's just see how this goes. They have more leverage uh, in in a conversation in a de, in a, in a yeah. debate or negotiation. Uh, like that that so, cuts both ways though. Because yeah, for Phoenix, they already know that they got Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, and they're kind of up against the tax. There's there's probably more pressure on them to save money than there is for a team like Charlotte, where you know, we see a lot of times, and Charlotte kind of falls into this category, I think, of just like, hey, anyone who's good here, we're going to pay them because, like, hey, we don't get players like this in this market, and we finally have some positive momentum as a franchise. We don't want to derail that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I think that could cut both ways. But, yeah, I would say Miles Bridges is probably one of the guys uh, in this group that I think is going to be one of the harder ones to value, one of the least likely, I would say, to get done. You know, because I, I think there's kind of an understanding of that. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that to get him, the Hornets may have to pay up a, a pretty significant amount. And maybe that. Maybe they're not willing to do that. Um, so, so I don't know. There, there's a lot of things that cross purposes, but I think he is 
somewhat of a hard player to value right now. But Charlotte does have the entire season, or, or excuse me, they, they have to do it before the beginning of this coming season. I'm sorry, that's correct, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, that, that's right. For rookie extensions, the deadline now is the start of the season. For uh, veteran extensions of guys in the last year of their contract, then you can go all the way through the season. They could have done that with Rozier, I think, I think is what you're alluding to right. there. Correct. They had all year with Rozier. So the clock is definitely ticking with the Miles extension. All right, well, let, let's wrap with the Hornets and then do some over-unders real quick before I let you go. One bold prediction um, for this Charlotte team. Uh, and it can't be Lamelo. It can't have anything to do with Lamelo Ball. Let's 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 go deep into the into the <laughs> roster here. What's one bold prediction you've got for this for this team? Whew, a bold prediction. Let's see. The Charlotte Hornets will acquire another center who will be in their rotation at some point during this season. Okay, I like it. I like it, uh, and they likely will need to if they would like to actually make the playoffs and not just have another play-in appearance. All right, let's transition to some over-under picks uh, for this in, entire division. Before we let you go, let's start with Charlotte. They're at 38 and a half for this coming year. I'm going to let you take this one first, and then I'll go after you, and we'll interchange from there. Yeah, so I actually, when we did this on our pod, it was 37 and a half, and I still, I believe, let me double-check this. Uh, yeah, I still actually took the under on them. And uh, my rationale was, you know, if you're going over on this, you're kind of seeing them as a 500 team. And, you know, obviously you can get lucky in close games, you know, five wins plus or minus either way. But if you're just kind of talking about the math of it, if you are seeing them as a below average defense, which I do, it's tough for me to say for sure these guys are going to be an above-average offense. You know, maybe maybe they do it by, you know, more P.J. Washington at center and they just have so much spacing and LaMelo takes a leap and, you know, they just have a lot of small guys. They're not as injured uh, with some of the guys on the wing. LaMelo plays more, et cetera. You know, maybe that's how you get into the top half of the league in offense. And, you know, maybe – but, you know, I, don't, I still don't see them getting to be top 10 offensively. I just don't think they have, like, that type – of firepower, uh, you know, even if they have just some, some, a bunch of good players and some shooting and, and a good offensive coach. So if you're not seeing them as being over 500, then, you know, it's a, it's a little hard uh, to go much beyond that, especially if this is 38 and a half. Um, you know, I do think there's some guys like Rozier, maybe Bridges who are a little over their head from a shooting perspective. And then I'm also just really concerned about Gordon Hayward's health. You know, if you, yeah. told me that Gordon Hayward was going to play 72 games out of 82 this year, then I think you'd probably get me on board for the over. Like, I didn't feel strongly about the under necessarily, but if they're, uh, if he's as, as healthy as he's been, you know, basically since he got to Boston, then, you know, you have to imagine that he's going to miss significant time. And I still think he's a really important player for them. My last thought on it was that I think this team because of the nature of last season that they were equipped to win a little bit better, just some of the junk defenses that they were trying and the lack of preparation time that teams weren't quite as prepared to like, you know, just really focus in on what they couldn't do defensively. 
and that you might see with a little bit more preparation time this year. Still not a ton because it's an 2 game schedule, but kind of a normal schedule that you might see teams be able to lock in on some of those defensive weaknesses a, a little bit more than, than they were last year and kind of junking up the game, doing something that teams aren't used to, that there is kind of unexpected, you know, won't be as effective defensively this year. Yeah, I, I think you. I think you could be right about that. I, I also have the under here. Uh, it's for a few reasons. Number one, the East is better. It's deeper. It's got more. I mean, yeah, you, you can only find a few teams that are actually not not vying for for at least a play in spot. Number two, like the Hornets once again last year, <laughs> just were awesome in the clutch. Uh, they were one of the best offenses in, in clutch situations. They shot the ball from deep, great in clutch situations. Most of that last season was because of Terry Rozier. But, you know, also Devontae Graham, like his coming out party in those situations the year before last, I just think had defenses really cluing in on him. So I'm, I am worried about the Hornets offense in close games. Yeah. He, he's a big loss. We haven't talked about him at, at all, but, uh, yeah. you know, the going from him to Ish Smith, I think that's a pretty significant downgrade. Yeah, or or you just think like late in games, like who's who's getting those minutes, right? Like is it is it Kelly Oubre? Like I, I think that Charlotte's shooting gravity uh, late in games has been a godsend for this team the past two seasons, and they just it's going to be a lot more Lamelo Ball uh, trying to make stuff happen uh, late in games when it's a half court game. That makes me nervous. I'm not quite sure that he's ready for that kind of offensive development just yet, or at least offensive workload, I guess, when it comes to winning. And he, and he still doesn't have a center that he can throw lobs to and they can make, make his life easier. So I, I totally agree with you. Devontae Graham's departure is a much bigger deal for Charlotte than it is addition for him in New Orleans. Like I, I think Charlotte will feel that in a worse way than New Orleans will feel that in a good way, uh, if that makes any sense. So I totally agree with you. Um, those are really the the two reasons I've got I've got the under. You brought up a good one that I hadn't even really thought of is Gordon Hayward's um, injury history. I mean, I would put his over under at about sixty two and a half <laughs> games played this year, and I might still take the under on that. So, yeah, um, yeah. All right, let's Orlando twenty two and a half. I'm sorry, Orlando. We haven't talked about you at all in this podcast, but uh, there's probably obvious reasons to that. I actually like the over here. I think Orlando has some interesting pieces. Wendell Carter, uh, you know, played here in Duke, was a really good college player. I think has had the attention of Hornets fans uh, in relation to other fans around the NBA uh, just for regional reasons. But I think that this has a comeback story potential. I liked Wendell coming out of Duke. He was up and down in Chicago, but he's really going to get an opportunity, I guess, for the for the starting job in Orlando. Um, so he's not the only reason I'm picking the over here, but I just think that they've got some interesting pieces bringing in Jalen Suggs. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the over on 22 and a half. I like them better than, than teams like, uh, Oklahoma city or who's your other real bottom feeder in the NBA right now. I mean, Houston in Houston. Cleveland. Yeah. I, I went over, I actually went over 23 and a half. I wasn't as strong, but if it would have been 22 when I looked at it, then. Uh, I would have felt more strong. I just think their defense is going to be solid. I think their offense will be terrible. I think they'll be a bottom two offense. Uh, but I think they could be respectable defensively. I just, I'm not sure whether on a bad team like that can sustain all year because they, they have a lot of young guys who also defend. Um, and, you know, I don't see, we'll see what time of a coach Jamal Mosley is. So I don't feel strongly about it. But I think to be, you know, under 22 and a half, you've got to be like bottom five on both ends. And I think they'll get out of the bottom five on defense at least. 
All right, uh, Washington, we talked about this one earlier, 33-and-a-half. Um, I'll let you go first. Yeah, they just have a lot of depth. I, I think Dinwiddie is good. Uh, I think Westbrook killed them at the start of last year, even if he came on later. Um, I think their offense is just going to be a lot better this year. They'll be able to withstand injuries. Uh, the only question I have is, you know, I think they're being 16th in defense last year was very much smoke and mirrors, and then they also are losing their best rim protector in Robin Lopez. So I think they're going to be worse defensively. Uh, but I think the, offensively, they've got some pretty good shooting. Uh, Beal is good. Uh, you know, the coaching, I think, will be an improvement. I didn't think Scott Brooks was a good coach, so we don't know much about West Unsell Jr., but just uh, you imagine that anyone coming in, it would probably be slightly below effort. I think that would actually be an improvement over Scott Brooks. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty strongly about the over uh, 33.5. That was one of my best bets for this year. All right, yeah. I, I mean, I said it earlier. I'm going over on this one, too. I just think this team has a lot of depth. They, they've got insurance on on surviving injuries outside of Bradley Beal. I think they improved on the wing. So I'm going over here as well. Atlanta, 46 and a half. Uh, I'll start. This would be one of my better bets on the board. Um, I just, I mean, this team brought the entire squad back. They're getting DeAndre Hunter at some point, hopefully at the beginning of the year. Uh, me being a UVA hoops guy, I always have a soft spot for Hunter in my heart. But I, I just think, I think really they have a chance to be better this year and healthier than they were last year. And their depth might I'm probably leaving someone out, but their depth might be as good as any roster in the entire NBA. Uh, can Trey Young take another step? You know, I think that there's some expectations that that would happen. And I just think, you know, lastly, Clint Capella is just – he's a perfect, absolutely tailor-made fit for this roster. So I think Atlanta has a chance to win 52, 53 games in the regular season. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I kind of said what I did about Atlanta already. I mean, we talked about both them and Miami. We were kind of ranking the teams in this division. So, yeah, that's, I would go over on them and, and Miami. You know, I, I would go under on uh, as well. I mean, with Miami is 48.5 and, and the Hawks are 46.5. I actually expect the Hawks to be better regular season than, than the Heat for the reasons we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Miami, 48.5. I think they – We'll go under. Uh, I don't feel great about that one. I mean, I can see plenty of worlds where they go over, but I, I would not take that if I was forced to. Uh, Nate, any any parting thoughts here? Anything we left out? Appreciate you coming on. No, I mean, I'm just looking forward to uh, breaking these guys down in even more excruciating detail uh, with you uh, <laughs> on my pod, you know, maybe next week or, or the week after. And yeah, I mean, we're doing these uh, on Dunked on Prime right now, our subscription pods. We're Doing uh, having a local expert come in for all thirty teams uh, to give their outlooks. Um, obviously, we did our, our over under pods earlier. Going to be starting up Hollinger and Duncan again uh, with in the week before the season. So just excited to be back and uh, ready to get started. And I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. So home and home. I'll be on yours at some point next week. So we'll let this one breathe. Um, obviously, fifty thousand foot view here. But if you listen to Dunked On, you know those guys get as detailed as anyone. So if you want to hear all the nerdy stats on the Hornets last season and, and guesses for this, tune in to Dunked On next week. Nate, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, all right? My pleasure.